Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Cutting Room Floor Podcast. I'm here, Clay Wright, and I'll be uh, hosting this week. It's great to be back with you guys. I uh, I was uh, out of town last week. We missed you. <laughs> Although I had a lot of fun with Mrs. Andrea Minling. So I've heard. So I've heard. Yeah. But we missed you. So we, well, yeah. She, 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 was, she asked good questions, and we had good dialogue, and, and enabled us to talk about some things that, that you and I can't talk about because we're not married. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's fun. That's yeah. I, I was, uh, I was out, uh, but I was also talking about things that, you know, are hard to talk about here. Uh, like no one, number one seeds. No, no uh, ending gone. up in yeah. the March madness bracket. Well, for for that's, men, uh, South oh, Carolina yes, is yes. still the number one seed. I think there's two number one seeds in the women's tournament. It could, yeah, it could be. I, yeah. I, I barely follow the, the men's tournament at all yeah. so like i i'm really only vicariously living it through my my family members i look at the results i, I haven't watched any games uh although i watched i did watch san diego's part of the san diego state game when they beat alabama because i was like there's an upset watch alabama i love to go see alabama lose at anything <laughs> i'm a true ohio state fan ohio state fans love to see alabama lose i'm sorry <laughs> it's just the way it is so, so I knew as I was writing the life group questions this week after your sermon, I wrote uh, the the icebreaker. I, sometimes I like to tie it into your opening illustration, right, right. And so I wrote, um, you know, how's your March Madness bracket doing? Doing, and I know every, you know, everybody's toast at this point. No kidding. And so it was oh. the first option was bad. The second option was worse. Because our I life figured. group meets on Tuesday night. And so we did that question <laughs> and our life group is not into the NCAA tournament. Oh, really? And so they kind of just blank. People are like, so what? I'm like, really? Nobody in this group <laughs> is interested in March Madness? There, there was a non-existent option. So, yeah. you know, they, I was, I was, I was here for them. I also, I didn't do a bracket this year. Actually, last year, uh, we did one bracket as a family mm. that we tossed into the pool of our, you know, the, our extended family. Right. And we had Arden pick the teams <laughs> as like a one-year-old and we won the tournament. What? Yeah. We won the bracket tournament against how many other people? Like six, just my, like what? my immediate family. So yeah, <laughs> uh, they were, and they all like know way more about basketball. Yeah, than I was going to say, but what does your family kids? know about basketball? <laughs> <laughs> So that was pretty funny. But one year, uh, Andrea picked uh, a bracket based upon the mascots. I'm yes. like, I can't do that. And she <laughs> she got pretty far. But I did. I did. A, I don't do a brackets every year. I did one this year, and it got blown up really quick. Yeah, really yeah, quick. yeah, so, yeah. There were a lot of a lot of upsets. But um, and so I guess okay. So we'll we'll try this as a transition into the text. All right. Is Jesus of Nazareth coming on to the scene and John pointing to Jesus and saying, I'm not the Messiah. That guy is. Mm. Did that seem like an upset to people? Was, <laughs> was John the front runner That's in their good. messianic expectation? In their messianic brackets? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, if we take seriously verse 15, I think so. I think, think they were like, is he, is he the one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it is, it is interesting. I loved uh, getting into the life of John the Baptist because um, it, you know, Jesus is fantastic. He's our model. Mm -hmm. But, um, it, you know, the, G, does Jesus model 
pointing to himself. I, I, I think, yes, he does. Like, he glorifies himself by the way that he lives. Mm. But I find John's example so motivating. Me too. As a believer, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, because of the way he, he points to Christ and because of the way that he he's trying to get out of the way and acknowledge Jesus. Yeah. It's such a beautiful illustration of how we're supposed to live our lives. And, yes. And he he's worth following there. And... Um, and, and I, this is, you know, picking up already a piece that we left on the cutting room floor or that I left on the cutting room floor. I left out um, one of the most impressive things that Jesus ever said about somebody. And that is that of all the men, of all the people born of a woman, John the Baptist is the greatest. Mm-hmm. Jesus said that. Can you imagine him saying it about you <laughs> or about me? I mean, what? Yeah. Of all the people born by a woman, he's the greatest. Wow. Then he finishes, I think he finishes that sentence, that phrase by saying, and yet those who are the least in the kingdom are greatest. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, Jesus. But still, John the Baptist, wow, must have been an amazing person. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so, of course, as, as we're kind of getting back into this conversation, we're not talking about March Madness primarily. No, not at all. Uh, not, this is not a sports podcast. <laughs> uh, this is a podcast about the Word of God. And so it's, it's good to think back uh, into this conversation that, began on Sunday uh, mm-hmm. in Luke chapter 3, verses mm-hmm. 15 through 20, getting to some of the last details we get about John the Baptist yeah. in the Gospel of Luke. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so we're sort of wrapping up that story arc. We're anticipating uh, after Easter, picking up with Jesus. Yeah. Uh, well, even this, this next next Sunday, yes. uh, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll be focusing in on one of my favorite pictures in the whole Bible, the baptism of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's... That'll be the last sermon in the series. Yes. And so uh, as we're doing that, there's a lot of, and John the Baptist is teaching and preaching. There's a lot of interesting images that you helped us to mm-hmm. um, understand on Sunday. And so, you know, you have the, the imagery of uh, the winnowing fork and the fire and, and all these, you know, the, this unquenchable fire and this judgment that's coming. It's, it's almost, you know, it's prophetic sort of language. It's, Mm -hmm. it's apocalyptic language in Mm -hmm. some ways. So, um, as we, maybe I'll, I'll read, uh, some of the, the teaching that John the Baptist gives. And then Jim, would you bring us deeper into, are, are there, is there any, are there any of these images that you'd love to dive deeper into or give us more context to in the light of how they're used in scripture? So I'll, I'll just start in verse 15 again of Luke chapter three reading out of the NIV, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. And we'll maybe rest in verse 18 for for now. So that's 15 through 18. John's using all this colorful imagery. Uh, Bring us into that a little bit. What comes to your mind as you're thinking through that? Well, again, um, John is using language that has, has precursors in the Old Testament. So mm-hmm. um, there's this language that is rich for these people. You know, when they hear the word fire, you know, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
you know, that's not, there is no such thing as baptism of fire in the Old Testament, you mm-hmm. know. And, you know, we sometimes use the phrase baptism of fire to refer to somebody who is going through uh, a really, really, really challenging time. But I don't think there's that metaphor used in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's lots of color with the Old Testament use of that word. And we, we talked about a few of those. We talked about um, the, um, the fire represents purification. Yep. The fire represents uh, the, the presence of God. And um, what we say, the third one, the fire represents um, judgment, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as, as, a, as a people hearing John the Baptist talk about the Holy Spirit and fire, you know, that, that language of fire would have resonated with all the other prophets because there were other prophets that, that had a fiery approach to them. And, and it would have absolutely resonated with, you know, sometimes people call Moses the first prophet. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and... Um, and all of the images that happened in his time with, as the leader of God's consuming fire up on the mountain, Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. And that fire represents the presence of God, but also the judgment of God. Because God said, if anyone comes to the mountain while I'm resting on it, they'll die. You know, and so you know, you were in you were in Colorado, mm-hmm. where you know, the, I always think that's kind of strange because you know I've driven from Kansas across the, the state, and the, the eastern side of Colorado is flat like yep. Kansas, and then all of a sudden <laughs> the foothills, you can start seeing the foothills, and then it just comes like out of nowhere. Yeah. So you could it feels like you could almost walk up and touch the beginning of the mountain. Yes. <laughs> it. Yeah. You flying into Denver. Yeah. It's yeah. You're exactly right. It's. <laughs> It looks completely flat from the plane, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there's just this wall of earth. So I, I kind of, I you know, I've never been to Mount Sinai, uh, but the way that le- that language is described, it almost sounds like it's that kind of thing that just bam, just comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know the Sinai Peninsula is a lot of desert and very flat. Uh, but anyway, the point is, you know, that the, by touching the mountain that God is resting on with His fire, judgment would come. So, mm. you know, that's one of the first pictures that we see. Um, well, actually, the first one, wouldn't it, that would be Abraham, wouldn't it? So when, when Abraham and Lot are talking about yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. that's probably the first, if I'm just, I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head, that's probably the first picture in the Bible of fire as judgment. Yeah, and, and then, because before that you get the flood, right. but that's, you know, water, the ju- you know, right. judgment through water. And so, so that's language that these people would have quickly, you know, recognized. Fire represents God, and part of that God presence of God is is judgment, which is more in those pictures more of a way of God calling people to honor His holiness. Mm-hmm. So, judgment is for people who do not take seriously the holiness of God. And as you know, we finished reading Leviticus, and now we're working our way through Numbers in our churchwide devotions, and you know we're seeing several episodes of that. You know, yeah. people offering uh, unauthorized sacrifices, you know, touching the ark, um, and these kind, and fire comes, you know, yeah. and burns up a, a people, and you're like, what in the world? So you know, this yeah. is language they they certainly grasped, um, and then, but you know, the whole Old Testament ends. We talked about the beginning of the Old Testament. Now it ends in, in Malachi with this language of refiner's fire, mm-hmm. and so, 
you know, there's there's a theme that the the, the poetic books, uh, Proverbs and Psalms, talk yeah. about God's refining fire and, yeah. and dross and silver and gold. So and I, I love images. I love that because it, there's. I mean, reading about God's consuming fire mm-hmm. is intimidating. It's yeah. scary. It's man, is that? Uh, but the 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 trajectory toward a refiner's fire. It's like the Bible is demonstrating God's judge. His 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 fire is committed. Mm-hmm. It, like in even in his judgment, mm-hmm. it's a commitment to his creation. Yeah. Um, which is because, you know, even in John's description of Jesus, his winning fork is in his hand. He's going to sift and he's going to burn up mm-hmm. what, the, you know, what's found wanting in, in a sense. Yeah. You know, that doesn't I don't know that that really feels like the Jesus that ministers to <laughs> to me in my moments of, you know, um, you know, weakness and doubt. You know, it's I I wrestle with this. Well, I, and, and nobody likes a, a God that judges with fire. You know, I, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've we've got to remember that um, a God that is a pushover God is no God at all. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a healthy. You know, sometimes I use the illustration of of act, the actual sun. You know, that anything that gets anywhere near the sun gets burned up. Yeah, is that because the sun is angry? The S U N is angry. You know the, that gaseous. You know, no, it's not. <laughs> it's just you have to respect right the the hotness of that of that fire. So you you don't get anywhere near it. Yeah, and so it's a it's a healthy for us to have a good respect for the holiness of mm-hmm. God. That He's not a God to be trifled with. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of that today, mm-hmm. and it's, it's one of the values of reading through the Old Testament. But of course, the, quote, the first verse you quoted, "Our God is a consuming fire," that's in Hebrews. That's not in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, but, but, but also, that's not the last word on God. He's not mm-hmm. just holy fire. You know, uh, he's not just a consuming fire, but. But that's that's not a bad place to start. You know, we, we see God as creator, and then we see a God as as a God who's a holy, just God. And mm-hmm. we should never forget that. Yeah. And I also, there's, there's something else I thought of as you were talking, which is that I've always been a little bit like of a pyro. Me too. Yeah, I didn't I, know that. I, yeah, I love fire. Oh, oh yeah. I was man. always the, I love building campfires. Yeah. And... <laughs> You know, thinking about fire as an image for the presence of God. I, so, so the question that came to mind is like, is is there there's there is being in the presence of a fire that's controlled, right? Because right. fire can when right. it's uncontrolled is terrifying, terrifying. Yeah, yeah. but 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 it, like being in the presence of a contained, helpful fire is almost like a spiritual experience it feels almost like a spiritual experience i've heard like survivalists talk about that like turning that corner of getting a fire going and what that does to a person's psyche oh yes and uh i I, you know i'm not saying that fire is like a portal into some sort of (laughs) spiritual experience but it's it's very it's so fitting you know when i when i think about my experience with fires you know it's not been out of control and dangerous. I've, res- you know, you have to respect the fire, but mm-hmm. it's warm and mm-hmm. it's 
attractive. It's attractive. Yeah, it brings light. Hopeful. Yeah, yeah it's. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't know. It's I I uh, I just I go back and forth with 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 that image because I love fire, mm-hmm. but also it's it's sometimes hard for me to get a get a grasp on the, um, you know, because God seems. I, I love your example with the sun, and yet, um, in a lot of the places where God is displaying judgment, he's he's an you know he's not just a passive no you know distributor of heat. Oh no, not at um, all. Yeah. He's a he's a person. His personality. He, yeah. You know, he's, um, you know, when you when you talk like that about fire like that, I, I, the, one of the pictures that comes to my mind is the Exodus three passage where uh, Moses comes up upon the burning bush. Yes. It doesn't, it doesn't get consumed. <laughs> and and what does God say? Take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. So mm-hmm. there, there's that picture of a fire representing the holiness of God already. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and what a sight that must have been. You know. Mm-hmm. It's burning, but it's not burning up. Wow. Did, did they have a... Am I misremembering? Did they have a sidebar about the burning bush and the chosen? Or am I totally making that up in my mind? You know how they have some Old Testament passages that they'll do yeah. sidebars of? I can't remember. I can't either. I, I, I've i seen some depiction of it somewhere. Right. I just can't remember if it huh. was the chosen yeah. or not. I, I'm not able to remember. Yeah. Yeah. But anyhow, it, so... The the other interesting note that that you didn't get into a ton uh, in your sermon, but it, uh, that um, John doesn't just talk about fire, but he's talking about unquenchable fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's you know this is not the only place in the Bible that talks about mm-hmm. like the unquenchable aspect of fire. Yeah. Um, or, or even, you know, and if you take that as the judgment of God, so you've got judgment that's, you know, doesn't, it can't be, um, parched out you know mm-hmm. it can't be stopped it, right. it's not it doesn't end um which is like that's just a, a good thing you know as we as we think about the judgment of god or if, like for me it's a good corrective as i am wrestling theologically with different issues um the bible's clear about a lot of these things um when it comes to judgment even though it it can make it, it can cause discomfort and we want to think carefully about it uh unquenchable fire it's a, this is an image yeah. that scripture uses and I, I always like to come back to uh I, I think it was jesus who said that the fire was prepared for the devil and his angels mm. fire this kind of unquenchable fire was not prepared for humans that that's yeah. that is not the intention for any human being mm. it was prepared for the devil and his angels. Yeah. And and that's a I think it's a healthy corrective to the people who almost seem to depict God as some kind of sadist who delights in in, in people suffering when, mm. which is such a radical distortion of God who the Bible says he literally says and I I'm not willing that any should perish <laughs> but yeah. that all would come to repentance. Yeah. And the, the extensive grace, you know, uh, let's talk about unquenchable grace. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you can't put it out. You can't exhaust the grace of God. Yeah. So part of that is, is, is simply a reference to the internality of God. You right. Know, 
that you know whatever it is whether it's love his love endures forever mm-hmm. you know the fire is unquenchable you know his everlasting peace you know these are all different words that describe the same eternality uh, of god that, and, and attributes and characteristics of his person yeah that um that get explained displayed mm-hmm. yeah but but you're, what you're talking about with again with that fire is um, is another picture of dis- of destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about it with Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's it seems like some of the pictures that are described in the Book of Revelation, you know, that there's e- eternal fire that you, you, it doesn't you don't get consumed. Mm-hmm. And and I you know, I just really really hate those images. They're so. Uh, discouraging, you mm. know, and it should prompt us and, promo- and and cause us to be more urgent when we're talking, which was part of my urgency Sunday was, yeah. you know, it's my job to warn you. And, you know, I don't want to focus on the fire, but I, I, I dare not ignore it mm-hmm. because it's coming yeah. and far be it from us to, to not address it, and yeah, you know, I, th- I think I, did I say in both sermons the illustration of the burning you, building, the burning building, yeah, and, and how unloving it is for you to go. Well, you know, that's their problem; they're going to mm-hmm. have to deal with that. Yeah, it's got, it's hard to describe it, but a more unloving thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think when John is using this language in, in Luke three, it's a, it's an act of mercy. You know, it's an act of of kindness to say, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, fire. This one that's coming is going to bring fire. Yeah. And, um, you need to know this is not just another one in the line of prophets. This is, you know, this one is different. Yeah. This, yeah. this one that's coming. So, so I've got a question along those lines because there's a, there's a, a, a narrative that I've heard that I think is healthy in a lot of ways mm. that when we talk about judgment and hell and unquenchable fire, I think can get can get us into trouble. And the narrative is this. We don't want to apologize for something that scripture teaches. Yeah. yeah. You know, we do, so we want to try. Right. But so, so the, the, the narrative goes like this, you know, um, you take any hot button topic, but I'll, I'll just use, for example, that lying is wrong. Lying is wrong. I'm not going to apologize for that. You know, scripture teaches that lying is wrong. And I'm going to say that's good. I'm glad that scripture teaches that lying is wrong right. because God is trying to lead us into exactly. ways of truth. That's and, right. and that's more, you know, that's in line with human flourishing and that's to God's glory. Mm-hmm. And that's what he desires for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you, when you take that, line of thinking or that logic, which is we don't want to apologize for scripture. We want to affirm it. We want to say that that's good. And then you turn to the doctrine of hell. It's like, okay, so how do we, so so am I going to say, yeah, no, I'm really, is this an appropriate thing to say as a Christian? I'm really glad that the Bible teaches that people will, you know, experience judgment eternally in hell that have rejected Christ. You know, oh man, that's yeah. yeah I, it's, it's hard to hear, but the, but the way I describe John's language here is as an as an act of mercy. I think that's the, that's the way that we approach that. Mm. Um, you know, uh, is it C.S. Lewis has a book called Severe Mercy, or is it about C.S. Lewis? I can't remember whether it's a, a book he wrote or so. I think it's a book about him. I think you're right in that, but I could, yeah. I could be wrong. But you know that's an interesting you know juxtaposition of those two words, a mm-hmm. severe mercy, and that's what John is doing. He's giving, he's describing a severe mercy, mm-hmm. and and when a preacher has to talk about judgment and hell and fire, 
you know, it, it, we need to remember it's it's not a celebration of that, and it's not a you, you know this is coming. You better you know you're going to pay for what you're doing. You know, kind of a finger pointing down the nose. No, it, it's a warning. It's a pleading. It's a right. This this is a merciful word that we're we're bringing to you so that you will avoid. Yes, you know, and so there, there should never, no one should ever preach hell or fire or judgment. Uh, in any other tone than than a warning, merciful, please, a pleading tone. Avoid this. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And it's it's an interesting line to walk. Where I'm not apologizing for scripture. This is this is you know God has ordered it this mm-hmm. way, and yet I love how you said this. It God God's intention was not for humans to experience this. Right. And so that's that's such a fine line to walk, yeah, yeah. Um, but but it's but absolutely. And, and I loved, um, I, I love I love the way that at Open Door we address us, our urgency for people to come to know Christ mm. because it's not an urgency that drives us to ignore relationships because we our evangelistic strategies mm. are all about relationships, exactly. and getting to know people, right. But part of the reason we want to get to know people, we, we, we don't fall off the other side of the cliff, which is, yeah, it doesn't really matter. You know, you just kind of wait. And, right, right. Uh, we, we do. We, we, I, I like how we, how we walk that line. Um, Sometimes I think we can be a little more urgent. Uh, but, sure. But I'm, I'm not an evangelist uh, by <laughs> gifting, so it, that's not something that's going to naturally flow out of me. Yeah. Uh, when I get to you know a passage that is evangelistic, you know I try to honor, honor that passage. But I have a you know friends that every passage is evangelistic for them, <laughs> you know, and they're they, they bring every passage to some sort of yeah a, altar call and some sort of you know you've got to surrender your life to Christ now and um and and for sure that's a very important ministry of the church. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm more wired towards teaching, but. You know, when I'm teaching scripture about fire and judgment, you know, I'm going to be faithful to that Absolutely. and not shy away from it. Yeah. So, yeah. There, w- one thing I've noticed that interests me on that on that note, well, not not about your disposition as a teacher, but about urgency on a spectrum. When I was younger, I feel like there was a lot. It was very. It was much more common to see churches having like haunted houses that depicted mm. judgment mm. and then to, to at the end of it, you provide a gospel presentation. Uh, and actually Charlie Miller and I were talking about this recently because <laughs> the, you know, the church that he was at did s- something similar um, before he came to open door and, uh, or, or they would have these skits where you have a student who would be reading le- a letter as though he were in, it's called letter, literally called letters from hell. Oh, wow. And where the student is reading letters Whoa. as I... though he's, you know, warning his, it, it's like the letter he would have ri- written to his friends if he could contact them from hell. Wow. Warning them. Like the, a, a modern application of Jesus' parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Warn my brothers. Exactly. Yeah. And, or, you know, and then you've got the, the, to, to to some extent, like the left behind books were a little bit, you know, catastrophizing yeah. and trying very urgent mm-hmm. was, and uh, that was a huge part of my childhood. Wow. But I don't, I don't really see that. Like it was, it was a, definitely a part of my imagination as a child. Mm. It's not what led me to Christ, mm-hmm. but I've I've noticed a, 
there's a, people have really backed away from that. Mm. Um, in my observation, That's interesting. Yeah, I've never attended one of those Christian haunted houses, wherever you describe mm. it, and, and I've never seen anything about the letter from hell. That's interesting. It's um, like it's sort of like a Christian version of what they do in driving school with the videos of the car accidents. Yeah, yeah. Like seriously, like they'll in, they'll have scenes of the car accident mm-hmm. and all you know all the things that come with that and wow it's yeah i uh and i wrestle with that like when is it appropriate to use those kinds of means mm-hmm. and when is it inappropriate and well and i think if you if you're going to be faithful to john the baptist you know that he definitely is that kind of preacher yeah he is that kind of communicator who's who you know who's preparing people for jesus but more than just preparing for his life and his teaching, preparing for his whole ministry mm-hmm. and the impact of his of his coming, uh, and so you know we we would probably call John a hellfire and brimstone preacher, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it certainly had an effect on the people. You know, they're they're flocking to hear him preach and to see him speak and bat- watch him baptize. So it's yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting. But um, but this is not the only image that John is using. Um, it's not the only interesting thing that he's saying. So yeah, we I, there's a lot to pick up. So we might have we might need to move on. Yeah, and you know the, the, another one that is right actually right before that, which we haven't talked about, is this image of I'm not even worthy to be his slave. Mm. Um, that's a that's a. It's like something I left on the cutting room floor for sure. So the the language there and that metaphor is that slaves would do a lot of menial tasks, but one thing they wouldn't do is uh, untie and remove the the sandal from a, from a person. Mm. It was like that was that was so low, you know, and. Um, and you know the, the near eastern world had a thing about feet and and and, and about <laughs> yeah. you know exposing your feet and you know washing your feet and somebody touching your sandal and things like that so 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 that's the metaphor that John's picking up is that that's the lowest 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 thing that a right. slave would do and i'm not even worthy to do that mm-hmm. so it, it's like he tried to find the thing that would could could be the lowest possible thing and then say i'm you know, I'm beneath that because of the worthiness of Jesus, and that's a that's a, actually a beautiful picture that that he uses that would have made instant sense to the people in the first century and may get lost on us. You know, that he, this is his colorful way of talking about the worthiness of Jesus. Mm, yeah, and, and I was I was thinking about coming back to that and unpacking that a little bit at the end of my sermon. When I was talking about why, you know, why Jesus, do we suffer? Yeah. Why we should be ready to suffer because of the worthiness of Jesus? Mm-hmm. But it's cutting room floor. It, yeah, I, I left it on there on the floor. I loved the <laughs> turn you made when you begged the question, "Why would I suffer for Jesus?" Mm. And you you paused. You said, "That's a really good question." Yeah, but I have a good answer. Yeah. Oh, I was like, that was ministering to me uh, because I uh, there's a there's a video. Maybe I've talked about it. I don't know if I have, but um, the I, I saw it originally in a sermon of yours. I'm almost positive. Hmm. The That's My King video. Oh, yeah. Where it's oh, this that's preacher old, man. just glorifying Jesus. <laughs> yes. There was, a, there was a while in my life where I would listen to that every morning. <laughs> oh, and really? Just, yeah, in the shower, and I'd just cry. And uh, Oh, cool. Yeah, that is such an iconic uh uh, clip from uh, a, a guy who's a true orator. Mm-hmm. I've, I've lost his name now. Um, 
but yeah, that's my king. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of a gra- he's, a, he's an African American guy with a, a gravelly, you know, soulful voice. Yep. He's just like, ah, and they've got like the old school organ synth going on yeah, behind yeah, him. And yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll link a video to that in the, in the show notes if you're, if you're, if curious, you can find but, it. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. It's, I know where it's at. There's two versions of it that are still on YouTube. Yeah. Um, there's, I'll, I'll link the better one, but. <laughs> but it, it is a goosebump moment. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he he just again this incredible oratory skill that he employs as he just ramps up this you know climactic uh, celebrating the worthiness mm-hmm. of Jesus and using yeah. all these biblical phrases that that and to capture that and it's like oh man yeah yeah he's naming Christ over and over and over again and one of the phrases he uses to describe Christ that always sticks out for me for some reason. What is that he's the highest personality in philosophy? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like stuff like that where it's you're just like, oh, that's so good. Such a wordsmith. It's so good. Yeah, but anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so you've got Jesus as the, you know, he's got the winnowing fork and you've got the, the image of the fire. You have the image of John being the slave who's not even worthy to perform the duties that are unfit for a slave. Did, did I unpack the winnowing fork metaphor in the sermon? Um, not extensively. Yeah, because I did with my life group and I, I was trying to think that I... I yeah, okay. Let's let's spend a couple of seconds there. Sure. There's lots more to talk about, but that's such a powerful image there. Again, would have been readily understandable of the, in the first century in yeah. the agrarian society. But um, this takes us back um, to the, the picture of uh, uh, an agrarian society where people are um, threshing and harvesting barley, wheat, mm-hmm. rye, other kinds of of um, Grains, grains, like thank that, you. That's yeah. what I was thinking of. So specifically in this story, wheat, and so the idea is that you would, you know, you'd cut the stalks of the wheat, and then you'd you'd lay it out on a ground, and then you'd have an animal with hoofs come and walk over that and lead him around there. So, so the the, the sharp edges and the weight of his hoofs is breaking up the wheat um, stalks and beginning the separation process of the the grain, the kernel from the husks and the the chaff and the rest of the plant. Mm -hmm. And yet there's still some things that are kind of together there. So they would take this shovel or this rake that was a a finely tined rake and and you can use the same word for rake as you can for shovel in Hebrew. So and grab a bunch of this and, and, and lift it up or throw it up in the air when there's a, a gentle enough breeze. It can't be too strong because, you know, it'll blow the whole thing off. But a gentle enough breeze that's usually on a high place mm-hmm. and a, a very flat ground um, that was either prepared to be flat or just it was in the nature of, of that piece of ground. And the wind would blow the, the lighter pieces of chaff and husk away uh and the 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 heaviness of the grain kernels would then fall to the ground so you know when you think about grains oh it's snowing is that oh my gosh (laughs) yeah it is it's snow um i'm looking out the window as i'm talking and people are like what snowing um uh, so you you don't think of kernels of grain being heavy right uh, but they're they are heavier than the chaff that gets mm-hmm. blown in the husks and so it's the the, the 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 final image is of separation we're separating the the useless the the worthless 
the um, bad from the the flourishing, the good, the fruitful, the yeah. healthy, yeah. and and that that image of um, an agrarian image began to be used for other kinds of things, and um, and then Jesus picked it up uh, in his teaching as God separating the the wheat from the chaff, the kernels from the chaff in the last judgment. So, and then of course that's the picture that John the Baptist is picking up. This so harvest is sometimes a picture of the last days, the judgment mm. that God will, you know, uh, harvest the the fruitful, the the godly. And of course, you know, Jesus used that language in John chapter 4 when he said, you know, the the fields are white unto harvest. And so, you know, you want to bring in the harvest, that's bring in the fruit. And 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 then there's that separation of the the wheat from the chaff. So, yeah. so so that's why we talk about it as a judgment kind of language. But one of the things I think that's unique about this passage that 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 is easy to miss is that is what I tried to bring out in the two kinds of judgment: the ongoing judgment and the final judgment. I think people rush to this is a fi- a picture of final judgment, but. The, the reason why I unpacked the definition of judging is because I was trying to help people see it's not just that final judgment, nor is it the kind of judgment that we sometimes talk about in negative ways that's bad, but it's the very, very, you know, the core of the judgment, this distinguishing, this yeah. discerning, this right. separating that all of us do every day, uh, day and night, and as a healthy expression of being made in the image of God, I'm able to judge, I'm able to distinguish, I'm able to 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 make judgments so I don't kill myself, injure myself, hurt myself. Yeah. And so, you know, this it's, it's a good thing, but so we use it colloquially so often in a negative way that it loses its significance. So I was I was trying to help people see that um, and that's an image that the people in the first century would have instantly mm-hmm. grasped. Yeah, my in, in my biblical theology course that I took in college, we had a unit on judgment. Oh, and did it you? Was Good for them. Huge. Yeah. yeah. I my the the professor the way that he talked about judgment is he said it's it's a hard thing to define, but let's use this as a working definition. Okay. Judgment is setting things to rights. Yeah. That's that's the language he used. I don't know where he got that. I'm sure he got that from someplace, but that was so helpful to me because I was like, yes, mm-hmm. I want God to set things to right in me. Mm-hmm. And that means he's going to burn away impurities. Right. And that means he's going to you know, lift up the, what is what is reflective of Christ and what's flourishing. Yeah, because the, 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 what is right it should be a capital R. That's Jesus. Yes. He's the measurement. Mm-hmm. And so... We measure ourselves against his standard, who he is, yeah. and uh, so that, that's good. That's um, and that's a distinguishing, that's a separating, that's a measuring, a weighing kind of activity. Mm-hmm. So one one question I have about the judgment language in this passage is there, um, because I've I've always heard it talked about just like you're saying in terms of that sort of final judgment Mm -hmm. in which God is judging between people Mm -hmm. as opposed to an ongoing judgment Mm -hmm. where he's judging Mm -hmm. or he's, he's, uh, sort of refining, uh, within a person. Mm -hmm. Is there a reason that people tend to think of it as that final judgment or is it, is it Mm. primarily talking about that for sure? You know, do we know with certainty? 
Um, no, we don't know for certainty because um, uh, John doesn't nail that down. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the things that I've read absolutely lean towards a final judgment interpretation of mm-hmm. this passage. Right. And I, I personally think that that is limiting. Uh, I think there's more going on. And, and, and primarily because John pictures Jesus uh, talking about the Holy Spirit in his role. And the Holy Spirit's role is, is more often depicted as this ongoing judgment, this purifying, this, you know, like we said in Hebrews 4.15, this, this dividing of the spirit from the marrow and, and that mm-hmm. kind of di- discerning work. Yeah. Then we see the Holy Spirit in the, the, the picture of final judgment. Mm-hmm. Usually that's pictured, that's pictured as the Father's work or, the, or Jesus' work. It's it's not very often that the Holy Spirit is depicted in that. So, and yet over and over again, He's depicted as this one who's purifying us, you know, sanctifying us by, you know, sanctified by fire, right? The sanctifying fires of the Spirit, and so, and that's a, that's a judgment, that's a discerning, that's a purification process. Mm-hmm. So, that's why I think the the text does um, bear both interpretations, and I think to go, to only use one or the other is 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 too limiting. Yeah, that's helpful. And, and while we're on that, uh, do you want to talk more about that Holy Spirit language that John uses? Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's 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 um it's got there's a lot to be said here because this language baptism and fire in the Greek, um, I think the preposition is in, so it could be translated baptism in the spirit and fire mm-hmm. or baptism with. Both are equally good translations. Right. And some people like to distinguish between the preposition in and the preposition with or the translation in and with. Uh, the Bible's fluid and, and, and when I look at the different ways that that shows up. Um, but for sure, this, this is... Um, the language of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, which is, you could say, is being depicted here, is a language that some traditions have picked up and described as a quote-unquote second work of grace. There's, you know, the baptismal waters for people who have been saved, but then there's a second baptism, the baptism of fire, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's a quote again, quote unquote, second work of grace. And if if you come at the scripture with that paradigm, you can find some scriptures to support that. But that's true for a lot of things, including mm-hmm. heresy. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not calling people's who teach a second work of grace as the baptism of the Holy Spirit a heresy. Uh, at all, right? Uh, it's, that's way too strong. I don't think it's the best reading or understanding of right, that, right. that language. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when Paul says there's one baptism, that's a very you know in, in Ephesians four, that's a very significant phrase. Um, uh, so, so I think the best understanding is that when the Bible uses the language of of baptism of the Spirit. He's, it's referring to that work of the Holy Spirit by which you got convicted, regenerated, saved, transformed, and that's the salvation experience. You became a part of the body of Christ. Yeah. 
and you were baptized, you know, Paul likes to say in Corinthians, you were baptized into the body. And so, um, so I, I think that's the best reading. Um, and what, and so what, what I would use the phrases I would use for second works of grace, third works of grace, because I, I want, I don't want to say there's a second work of grace without saying there's a third work and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a hundredth. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about only two works of grace, a first work and a second work. <laughs> if we're, if we're going to talk about second work of grace, I want to talk about many. And so I do absolutely see further work of the Holy Spirit that is baptism-like or refining-like or sanctifying-like or filling. So uh, I heard a phrase coined uh, in these arguments years ago, you know, one baptism, many fillings. So that's a, that's a, this, that's a language that's been crafted to be in contrast to two works of grace or two baptisms. Right. The baptism of salvation, the baptism of sanctification, uh, the baptism of um, Jesus and the baptism of the Spirit um, or the baptism of John. Because see, it's, it's inappropriate to call the baptism of John uh, the same thing as the baptism of Jesus because John is preaching pre-gospel you know, he's even though it says in Luke chapter three, you know, one or two, he was baptizing for the repentance of sins. That's not the same kind of way that Peter is using Acts chapter two, verse thirty-eight. The people say, "What should we do after they hear his Pentecost sermon?" And he says, "Repent and, and be baptized, be baptized yeah. for the forgiveness of sins." I know it's easy to say those are the same phrases, so they must be the same thing, but there's a very important chronology here we have to pay attention to. Yeah. John is pre-cross, uh, mm-hmm. and he's and it's, 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 we're, we're still in Old Testament language of mikvah baths and purification and sacrifices and a baptism for the forgiveness of sins is, in that, is, is reflective of that world and that I don't want to say dispensation, but that kind of language. Mm-hmm. Whereas the language that Jesus, you know, is using and that Paul especially uses and Peter in Acts two, to refer to Jesus's de- Jesus's death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that's a that's a different work uh, that we would talk about. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's the the baptism of John. It is so fascinating to me because mm-hmm. of the context of. Um, the 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 Jewish practice of baptizing Gentiles who wanted to become proselytizing, yeah. you know, proselytes of of the Jewish religion, or right. you know, and so I I always think of John's baptism as an invitation to Israel to become Israel again, like, yeah. like come on back in, you know, yeah. turn away from your rebellion against God. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's time to, it's time to come to the end of this period of exile. Let, let's be the people of God again. Mm-hmm. Whereas the baptism that Jesus provides is an identification with him mm-hmm. unto the forgiveness of, of our sins. Right. Yeah. When we're, when we're, when we're found in Christ, we, you know, his blood covers us and you know, all those sort sorts of, uh, well, that's easier to preach as long as you're not having to deal with the, 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 Luke three, where he says John's baptism was for the forgiveness of sins, because that's like, well, wait, it says it right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 so, yeah. That's so true. This is, this is why biblical theology is helpful. It's right. why chronology sometimes can be a, a very decisive um, um, element of trying to put together a, 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 a more of a systematic biblical theology. What does the Bible actually teach yeah. about baptism? And, totally. 
Yeah. yeah. And we, we do teach baptism classes at the church. Uh, we have, I think we have one coming up, as a matter of fact. Yeah, and this one, we are going to baptize people with fire. Um, gotcha, so okay. So if, if you've only been baptized in water, I've, I've got a fire pit ready, and um, <laughs> this will be interesting. <laughs> you need to be careful with that. <laughs> some, people, some people are going to believe you, <laughs> and some people are going to picture like a bananas foster kind of baptism with fire, <laughs> oh, and some people are going to... Miss Miss here. Yeah, so, so, so if you can see my face, I'm smirking. Uh, I'm, it's 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 a joke. Uh, I should be careful. Thank you for the, for the thank you for the warning. Yeah, I'm warning you of the judgment to come. You know. no, no, yeah, but uh, we. I love uh, teaching about baptism because mm-hmm. uh, Romans six. A, a lot of times, it's with people who are young in the faith or oh, yeah. who are new believers. Not always, but but many times. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and so it's uh, it's so fun to talk about, you know, turning toward Christ and, and, and repentance and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But um, so with with that in mind, uh, there's one last piece I, I want to get around to picking up, uh, and, which is the note that you gave uh, toward the end of the sermon about the suffering of John the Baptist. Mm, okay, yeah, and um, th- this mm. is it's a it's a hard well, actually. I don't know if you remember this, but the first sermon I ever preached at Open Door is when I was still an intern, and it was on suffering. <laughs> yeah, I do. And it was out of uh, Second, Second Timothy. Timothy. Yeah, yeah. And I really wrestled because you did a great job on that sermon. Thank you. Yeah. I and what I found is I, I suffering is such. It's something that is so sensitive because we live in a broken world. Yeah in which people are suffering, uh, even in many of whom we don't detect, you know, it's not always super easy to tell. And so it's, it's such an important thing to talk about because, uh, many people are suffering mm-hmm. as a result of the world. But of course the suffering that you were talking about was a little bit more specifically, um, suffering for Christ. Right. So, um, was there anything that you left on the cutting room floor with regard to suffering or, or is there anything we can go deeper into there? Oh, certainly there is. And, um, and I think in light of, uh, you know, we're making this podcast on Wednesday, March 29th. And so people who are listening to it are about now or around this time. And they're probably still reeling from the news that we heard on Monday, mm-hmm. March 28th, and still news reports coming out about the Nashville shooting yeah uh, uh, i think it's called covenant school uh, yeah. a, a mm-hmm. christian school in nashville that's you know so if you're listening to this you know in 2024 or 2025 um there is a historical event that happened that's absolutely tragic in nashville tennessee where um suffering was just really in our face as we see the looks of terror on children's faces as they're being escorted out of a a shooting situation where Mm. apparently a former student who um, we're hearing some reports about maybe working through some emotional issues uh, and really not handling that well and came back and decided to take out her anger um, by a shooting and, and ended up with a killing six people. Um, yeah, I think it was three students and three faculty members. Yeah, just um and, and one of the one of the most ironically tragic things is that that church, that school is connected to a church mm-hmm. and the pastor of that church who obviously preached the day before on Sunday 
um, one of the one of the casualties was his own daughter, like a like a three or four year old daughter. So you know, how, how could he have possibly known that he's preaching on Sunday and the next day he's going to be suffering in an incredible way? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, you look at that and it brings up the age old questions that we see in the Old Testament where people asked honest questions about life. Why? Is there suffering? And if God is a good God, why does he allow that? And some people might even say, this happened at a Christian school in a Christian Christian community. You know, why that? You know, Mm -hmm. as if, you know, somehow Christians are immune from suffering, which, of course, is ignorance of what Jesus said, the the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You know, everybody experiences suffering. So, so it's it's good for us to talk about the broader implications of this. Um, you know, obviously, when I was preaching, I did not know what was going to happen the next day, and um, not like normal. Yeah, right. And it's just uh, when you read the articles or see see any footage, your your heart just breaks. And so, I, I think, you know, we ask questions like, okay, you know, why did this happen? You know, how do we think about this? You know, mm-hmm. is there such a thing as a theology of suffering? And yes, there is. I think you may have actually used that phrase in your sermon that you just referred to. I, if you didn't use the phrase theology of suffering, you you talked about a theology of suffering. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember? Did you use the phrase the, um, a theology of suffering? I might have. I don't remember off the yeah. top of my head. Um, and so, you know, why did it happen? How do we think about these things? And you know, what, how do we respond? And and let's 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 rush to the how do we respond? I think the first response is to mourn. Yes. Yeah. Just. Yeah. Let's not try to explain it away. Let's not try to to figure out motives. Let's let's just. You know, I heard someone say one time the hardest verses in the Bible to obey are mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, mm. weep with those who 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 mourn, and because it's it's painful to enter into that, and. But I think that's one of the things that we, we, we need to do is just stop for a minute and mm. just mourn the loss of life, mourn the pain that these people are experiencing. Uh, I think as Christians, we mourn the kinds of things that were happening in this woman, Audrey, this student, to, what caused her to do this, you know, mm-hmm. not to, you know, castigate her. It's really easy to, you know, to to demonize, you know, her, you know, she, she killed people. Yes, that's horrible. It's wrong. But, but what was happening in her heart and her soul that would lead her to, to do something like that? You know, she was suffering. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe nobody else is thinking about that, but Christians need to think about, you know, she's also a victim in this. And I know that might make people angry to hear that. No, she's not the victim. She's the perpetrator. Mm. No hurt people, hurt people. And, you know, I believe that God grieves for Audrey just as much as he does for Hallie and, and Dr. Coons and these other people, because, it, and this brings us back now to the first question, why did this happen? And, you know, there's a real simple answer, sin, mm-hmm. <laughs> one word answer, sin, that is the only reason we have suffering in the world. Um, um, there, there was no suffering before there was sin, uh, and um, 
sin is a res- uh, suffering is a result of sin. And so, you know, then you can ask the question, well, then why is there sin? And, you know, the, that's, that's, a, that's all right. We can ask that question, you know, and, and the reason why there's sin without trying to trivialize this is because there's love and God did not have to make us with the capacity to love, but he did. And, and if, if it's going to be true love, then there has to be a choice. And if it's a true choice, that means I can choose to love or I can choose not to love. Mm. Or I can choose to love my way or I can choose to love God's way or yeah. love other people's way. So, so it's, it's healthy for us to, to think these things through. And so, you know, why is there suffering? Because there's sin. Um, but this is the beautiful thing about God. As powerful as sin is, and as much damage as it has wreaked on his creation, including the, the earth and the cosmos and people, um, as much devastation has been, as, has been you know, uh, released in our world, God is greater than our sin. He's Amen. greater than suffering. And he has a plan to redeem suffering. Mm-hmm. God's not up in heaven going, I, I didn't, I didn't see this coming, you know, and what, how do I, what do I do now? I love that the Bible literally says that before the foundation of the world, before there were humans, before there was sin between humans and against God, God had a, a plan, his, his redemptive plan, which is mm. beautiful. And it encompasses, it, it deals with suffering. It deals with pain. It deals with sin. Yeah. And so th- that is something we, we have to talk about. And that, and that leads us to talk about the nature of God, in my opinion. Uh, I think this is a very, very important thing that gets missed when people talk about suffering. How you view suffering, it depends upon how you view God. Mm. And it seems to me everything always comes back to how you view God, <laughs> you know, it affects everything. And, yeah. you know, I, I have to take the opportunity to quote Tozier, yep. you know, what you think about, you know, what, what you think of, what, what, what goes through your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Yeah. How you view God affects your, your relationships, your job, your relationships with God, you know, your morals, your, um, you know, your view of, of the afterlife, everything is affected by your view of God. Specifically, this your view of sin and suffering, mm-hmm. and so you know what? Who is God? Well, God is a loving Creator, yep. and He did not create sin. God did not create sin. Sin is the result of our misuse of the freedom that we had, and and um. And so, but God is not bound by that and not limited by that. So He has a plan. So, I, I love to. And this gives us a chance to talk about the theology, you know, proper. Who is God? <laughs> because theology of suffering is a secondary theological exercise. Theology proper is the nature of God, the character of God. And, yeah. Um, so, I, I think you know, that's. I think the church is the only ones who can give a hopeful answer 
in the face of this kind of unspeakable tragedy. Yeah. And, um, and because the church has not spoken well, has not done its theology well, uh, the world doesn't want to hear what we have to say. Mm. Uh, and they blame our version of God or our invention of God um, uh, for, you know, who is it that the, is it Bill Maher that says that, that more wars and deaths have happened at the hands of, because of religion than anything else. He loves to say stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. so we need to get rid of all religions, all anybody's definitely anybody, anybody's idea of, of a God, because it only brings pain and suffering. Mm. But you know, what I would say for what, for what Mara is saying is it's our misunderstandings of God as we've tried to, you know, create a religion or manufacture an understanding of God versus us having a theology built on revelation. Who has God revealed himself to be? Yeah. What's the full disclosure, not just caricatures, but what's the full disclosure of who God is? Absolutely. And if if, if that is um, being, if, if we're worshiping that God and we're talking about that God, not a caricature of, of God, then, you know, then, then we're good. But, you know, most of the times I hear people like uh, uh, Marr and Bill Nye and other atheists, you know, things is, is you know, I don't, wor- I don't want to believe in that kind of God either. The God you're describing that you say is my God, I don't believe in that God either. You know, <laughs> what? No, no, that's, you, you have a distortion of who God really is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so those are some first thoughts that, that I have about, about suffering that, um, yeah, that I think it's helpful for a Christian response, you know, in, in times like these. Um, Absolutely. And I love I love how your your description of the first response to mourn. Mm. It's a reflection of God's response to suffering, mm. Mm. which is yeah. to be present in it, yes. to not shy away from it. Yes. Like, you know, God, he, that's that's the 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 believer is able to do something in the midst of suffering that's unique Mm. because God does something in the midst of suffering that's unique. So we can enter into it. That's God's response to suffering is he took it onto himself. The crucified God. Yes. Yes. And so that's, that is the, you know, Mm. that's the pressure release on the, the problem of of suffering To, to bring it back to the, you know, our initial discussion about judgment, the beauty that's that's hidden in the doctrine of God's judgment is that he poured it out on himself. himself. Amen. Amen. So that we can escape judgment. Yes. And uh and yeah, that, I, and talking about things left on the cutting room floor, that that's something that, you know, you, you could argue I should have said on Sunday, you know, is, is that's part of the worthiness of Jesus, is mm. that he has taken death into himself. He has yeah. you know, broke the power of sin and death. That's one of the things that makes him worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have had to get into your the sermon you talked about earlier. <laughs> yeah. So, but beyond that, um, uh, God does use suffering mm-hmm. while He did not create it, and does not um, celebrate it. He uses it, and this is this is one of the side things about the sovereignty of God that I think is so powerful and so beautiful. You know, if your view of the sovereignty of God is that he is a puppet master pulling all the strings to get people to do things, you know, that's okay. Wow, that's amazing. You know, he's pulling strings all over the world. that's, That's wild. But I think it's even more amazing that he is able to give us the freedom 
with no strings attached that we make our own decisions and he's still able to bring good out of that mm. and this is a case in point god is able to bring good out of suffering yeah and as you said a couple of seconds ago and alluded to you know the, the primary picture that is the cross you know the cross is the is humanity at its worst you know physically torturing and punishing and you know um, wreaking havoc on a, on a human being made in the image of God who's completely innocent. It wasn't that they just killed him. They tortured him. They abused him. He died a horrific, Jesus, a horrific death. A person made in the image of God, but unlike you and I, completely innocent. Mm-hmm. That's, that's humanity at its worst. Yeah. That we would wreak that kind of havoc on a human being who's completely innocent. And yet in that worst act of humanity, God is able to bring good. Yeah. You know, wow. Mm. Uh, and, and, and beautiful good, you know, salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so God uses suffering. He, um, he, he back to our purification picture of, of fire, God purifies us through suffering. You know, there's the, through the trials, through the testing, you know, you know those beautiful passages in James chapter one that God, you know, rejoice in trials because God's using that to, you know, develop perseverance and Christ likeness, maturity, mm-hmm. and Romans Romans five. Um, yep. Um, help me out with that. Um, uh, uh, the oh, man persevering in suffering, yeah. suffering brings hope. Yeah, it's um, an, and hope does not disappoint because God has poured out His Holy Spirit, you know, in us. So there's again, and there's the Holy Spirit in verse five in the same context as suffering in verses two and three of chapter five. Um, I think is where that's at. Um, and so there's the work of the Holy Spirit at work in in suffering, while God uses that to develop perseverance, maturity, and endurance, and um, Beautiful things. Yeah, Romans 5. We also glory in our sufferings. Glory. Because glory. we know that suffering produces perseverance. Mm-hmm. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What translation is that? NIV. God has not, uh, hope does not put us to shame. That's a different translation than what I'm used to. I, huh. That's, um, I have met, I have that memorized in the old NIV, which is I hope does not disappoint us. Mm. Um, yeah, and interesting. Yeah, so that word glory. Yeah. Wow. And that sounds like Paul. You know, I mm. glory in the sufferings of Christ. What? Well, that's the Vietnamese pastor I talked about. Exactly. He was glorying yeah. in the sufferings of Christ. And in the New Testament, uh. I, you know, I think it's so easy for us to forget that these words are not being exchanged. You know, it's one thing for me to, to get one of my friends on the phone who's going through a tough time and to say, Hey, let's, let's glory in the, in our, in our suffering. It's beautiful. Mm. But a lot of times in the new Testament, Paul's writing to people who they don't know if they're going to die. Mm. Mm. They don't know if they're going to be dragged away no. yeah. for their faith in Christ. Oh. And, uh, I, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to um, what's to come in the Gospel of Luke because I know when we when we begin interacting with the life and the teachings of Jesus, it's mm. going to call us into a deeper commitment to yeah, Him. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, hopefully. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it, it, I mean, yeah. there, there's two options, I guess. Yeah. You know, you can either let it let it brush off or you can take the opportunity to say yes. Yeah. And as we follow Jesus in Luke, we're going to hear him say, you know, rejoice when people persecute you in my name, mm. when people revile you. And, and then Peter, who was watching and listening and probably going scoffing at some points, what? Rejoice when I suffer. Rejoice when people persecute. You know, no, that's not the kind of Messiah we want. We want a Messiah that's going to keep us from suffering. But that same Peter would eventually write in First Peter chapter 2 that Jesus left an example that we would follow in his footsteps. Mm-hmm. And people love to quote that verse, but the context of that verse is suffering. Yeah. And, Jesus and, suffered. And, and, and it's hard to <laughs> remember those accounts of Peter and not remember his conversation with Jesus about John. You know, Jesus says, you follow me <laughs> right. after describing his suffering, you know, the suffering that Peter's going to go through. And Peter goes, well, what about John? You know, what's going to happen to him? And I, or earlier than that, when Jesus was talking about suffering and Peter says, no, you're not going to suffer. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Yeah. Strongest (laughs) language out of the mouth of Jesus. Yeah. Ever. (laughs) And, and I think, yeah, my, I guess my prayer because I, th- I think it is important for us, and that we don't have time to really get into this, but there are, there are moments in your preaching where you'll remind us um, it's very possible that we as believers, mm-hmm. that this generation could experience more persecution than the last. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I, I don't want to be a generation of believers who's looking at the Johns of the generations that have come before who have experienced a lot mm. of peace mm-hmm. say well jesus what about him mm-hmm. um yeah we we follow jesus yeah and amen uh, keep your eyes we're back to the beginning of the sermon keep jesus john was a jesus focused person mm-hmm. you know you don't worry about john you follow me yeah. yeah and and when we do that uh god will use suffering to make us more like christ mm-hmm you know, we, we in, our, in Church the Open Door, we talk about, we sing about, we preach about becoming more like Christ. That includes suffering uh, because Jesus suffered. Again, First Peter 2, he left us an example we should follow in his footsteps. And so um, if you want to be like Christ, you're going to suffer. You know, what does Paul say to his Timothy? And for everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I, uh, I don't know exactly how God does that in the human heart, but somehow he's purifying, somehow he's doing that judgment and that dividing between heart, soul and spirit and soul and joint and marrow. He's, 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 he's purifying our motives as well as purifying our hearts. And, and these are all things that are there are core issues in us becoming like Christ mm-hmm. because Christ likeness comes from a heart of Christ likeness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't become like Christ by working hard on the, the outside and my, and the things, you know, the things that I do, uh, I work, I become more like Christ by focusing on inside out, you know? Yeah. Uh, now I do need to do good deeds and Christ likeness is revealed in what I do. 
but there's no amount of doing good things that's going to make me more like Jesus. It's an inside-out job. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's why it has to be the Holy Spirit who's Oh, good. That's why it has to be the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And one, maybe one last thing to, to think, think about is that suffering reminds us, it, it, it kind of, it reminds us Jesus is coming again. Yes, and he's going to make every he's going to put a thing to rights. You know, he's, yeah. he's he's going to make everything right, and mm-hmm. and it keeps us mindful that that this is not that all there is. Mm-hmm. That, that there's more coming, and we're, and as we as we think about that and anticipate that, and and it, you know, keep our eyes focused on eternity. Um, you know, we, we don't want to be the people who are so eternally minded that we're no earthly good and we're just <laughs> we're just marking time just putting up you know just kind of punching the clock until jesus comes yeah no uh, but on the other hand we don't want to do the other side either that we're so earthly focused that we forget that we are made for eternity mm-hmm. and and honestly sometimes and maybe this is where the people of nashville are sometimes the only thing that gets us through our pain and our suffering is is to remember Jesus is coming back and he's going to make everything right yeah. he's going to he's going to heal and he's going to redeem and it's that hope that that sometimes that's all i can hold on to hmm. is that hope that he's coming again and he's going to make it right amen uh, because we're we're not going to get better and better and better and better in this world and and eventually you know we just have we're just educated ourselves and religioned ourselves and disciplined ourselves to be holy no we need a savior yeah <laughs> and as paul says in titus he's coming from heaven and he he will save us and he will redeem and he will bring to redemption all of his creation and mm-hmm. that's that's the day we look to Amen. Yeah. Um, so we need, we need to have we need to practice this dual vision. I'm looking for eternity. I'm looking to heaven, but I'm not. My head's not in the sand. I live in a broken world, and I need to be a healing agent, and I need to be a a Christ like person. So I I need to navigate the, that world and this world. Mm-hmm. And I can't again. I can't be so otherly minded that I'm no earthly good, but can't be so earthly focused that I I forget about eternity. Yeah, and that was. Uh... That that's reminded me about my, my the big idea of that sermon from Second Timothy, which is you we look through suffering to mm. Christ. Mm. You're that's not, good. You're not looking away from suffering to yes. Christ. Good. You're looking through it. Um, not bad for a first sermon. <laughs> <laughs> not bad. I had a I had a I had a lot I had a long time to work on it. <laughs> but uh, also the yeah yes it was it was that was a lot of fun. Mm. But um, anyhow, let's uh, why don't we close and and just offer a a prayer for um for those who are suffering today including those in nashville yeah yeah. um i'll do that yeah lord the the as we enter into even some imagining some of their pain um we we run into a roadblock because we we can't fully grasp the depth of the suffering and the pain and the grief that 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 pastor that fa- those families um, <laughs> I even think about you know the parents that that sacrificed 
to pave the way for their daughter to go to a Christian school, and then this happened. Hmm. You know, their suffering, uh, their daughter, you know, that they love, and so there's just so much suffering that we can't fully enter into, but we know that you can. And so we thank you and we praise you that you are the God who's with us. You know, and we read in the New, New International Version about Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, well, that's pretty dark, that kind of grief that, and the suffering that they're experiencing. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And you are the God who's with us in our suffering. You are the God who's with us in our pain. You are the God who's with us to bring us out of that. You are the God who's with us to redeem us. You did not redeem us from afar. You came to be a, one of us. And so, Lord, draw near to these families. Yes. And and as we think about them, we, we think about other people who are suffering. Some may be listening to my voice going through horrific suffering of their own. And um, so I don't know what that is, but you do. And so, God, I love that, that Psalm. I think it's in Psalm 34 that you are near to the brokenhearted. And so we reclaim that verse, that you are the God who comes near to those who are suffering, who are hurting, who are brokenhearted. And, Lord, in your nearness... Would you re begin that redemptive process by your very presence? We, we, without doing a thing, it's your presence can be a healing, lifting, hopeful balm to to the suffering and the the pain. And but we also know that it's not just your presence; it's what you do. So God, do what only you can do. Bring good out of this. How, how you might do that is beyond my imagination, but you're God. Bring good out of this. Redeem this. Um, and bring healing and hope to those that are closest to this kind of suffering and those who are, effect, who are affected in the rippling effects. And, um, and we, we, we close just thanking you that this is not something that we hope you might be able to do somehow. Can you please figure it out? But we praise you because we know that you will bring good out of suffering and that you do and that we trust you and your mysterious but eternal and unquenchable kind of ways. Nothing can stop the good that you do. And so we praise you in advance for how you're going to bring good out of this, this horrible tragedy. Um, that's something that's you're, wor that's, you're worthy of praise because only a God could do something like that. So we praise you when we, um, we end this, this, this prayer and this podcast, just focusing on you, celebrating you. And like John the Baptist, living a Jesus-focused, Jesus-centric life. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.